Always a joy to be able to gather together as God's people and to, to go to his word and to look what, uh, what his word has to say. And today we're going to uh, be looking at Acts chapter 26. And we'll see that the Apostle Paul is standing before King Agrippa. The Apostle Paul is uh, before this ruler, and he's had a, a tough go at it. In chapters 23 and 24, uh, as well as chapters 25, we see that um, he's gone back to Jerusalem, and in Jerusalem, um, he was persecuted, he was beat, he was slandered. He has an opportunity to share his testimony with a raging crowd that's rioting. He is then questioned by the high priest, as well as by Felix. Uh, Paul is then imprisoned for, for two years because uh, a ruler wanted a bribe. They said, we really have nothing to hold you uh, back, but, but we, uh, they, they expected some money from Paul and they didn't get it. Uh, so we see that Paul is standing before uh, really unjust rulers, rulers who have not submitted their hearts to the Lord. And the question that we want to, to answer today and think about is what do we do when we find ourselves under the authority of someone who is not a Christian and who is making life harder for us? What do we do when we have a boss, a boss who's hostile to the faith or a governing official who implements legislation that is inconsistent with Christian values? What do you do when you have an unbelieving parent who chastises you for your faith or a spouse who is not a Christian and is challenging you to to submit to them. Or perhaps you have a teacher, a principal, a school administrator who is being unfair to you in the name of secularism. I believe that Acts chapter 26 is going to give us some great principles and a great vision of how to engage authorities who are hostile to what you believe. If you could stand to your feet for the reading of God's word, we're going to look at verses 1 through 8 and then 24 through 32. The precious word of God reads, Then Agrippa said to Paul, You have permission to speak for yourself. So Paul motioned with his hand and began his defense. King Agrippa, I consider myself fortunate to stand before you today as I make my defense against all the accusations of the Jews, and especially so because you are well acquainted with all the Jewish customs and controversies. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. And the Jewish people all know the way I have lived ever since I was a child, from the beginning of my life in my own country and also in Jerusalem. They have known me for a long time and can testify, if they are willing, that I conform to the strictest sect of our religion, living as a Pharisee. And now it is because of my hope and what God has promised our ancestors that I am on trial today. This is the promise our 12 tribes are hoping to see fulfilled as they earnestly serve God day and night. King Agrippa, it is because of this hope that these Jews are accusing me. Why should any of you consider it incredible that God raises the dead? Let's pause there. From verses 9 to verse 23, we see that the apostle Paul is going to give his defense before King Agrippa. In short, he's going to share, this is who I was and where I was before I met Jesus. I came to faith, and this is what uh, what I've been doing since. And then we pick up in verse 24. And at this point, Festus interrupted Paul's defense. You are out of your mind, Paul, he shouted. Your great learning is driving you insane. I'm not insane, most excellent Festus, Paul replied. 
What I am saying is true and reasonable. The king is familiar with these things and I can speak freely to him. I am convinced that none of this has escaped his notice because it was not done in a corner. And King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you do. And Agrippa said to Paul, do you think that in such a short time you can persuade me to be a Christian? Paul replied, short time alone, I pray to God that not only you, but all who are listening to me today may become what I am, except for these chains. The king rose and with him, the governor and Bernice and those sitting with them. And, and, they, and after they left the room, they began saying to one another, this man is not doing anything that deserves death or imprisonment. And Agrippa said to, to Festus, this man could have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. In today's text, we're going to see that we don't have to fight like the devil to please the Lord. As Russell Moore says, when engaging authorities, we don't blink before them, but we also don't imitate them. We also don't meet them with hostility. In today's text, we'll see that the Apostle Paul is going to stand before authorities and model for us what it looks like, what it looks like to engage an authority figure who is hostile to the gospel. The first thing we see is that as Christians, we must engage authorities with convictions. We must engage authorities with conviction. Paul stands resolute in his convictions. Last week, we looked at Paul's testimony and how he shared his testimony before ruling authorities. And we saw that he was wise as a serpent and gentle as a dove, and that he leaned into certain areas of his testimony in order to make certain points. But even though he may have leaned into certain areas of his testimony to make certain points, we see that Paul never compromised his convictions. While how we share our testimony may change, our convictions never waver. And that's important to realize. In this text, the Apostle Paul is talking to King Agrippa. He is engaging this man who has much power, who is well acquainted with with Jewish customs. And this man has the the freedom to, to set him free or the freedom to give him a good word before Caesar. But Paul speaks to him with conviction. We see about seven or eight things in this text, I think, that shows the conviction that Paul had. In verse 26, chapter 26, 4 through 7, we see that Paul brings up the conviction that Jesus is the fulfillment of all the Jewish law. We see that he goes on to bring up the conviction that God raised Jesus from the dead. And he even says, "How? why is this so shocking to you all? He goes on to share his miraculous conversion and then He is called to take the gospel to the Gentiles. In chapter 26, verse 16, Paul stands on the conviction that through Christ and Christ alone is their forgiveness of sins. In chapter 26, verse 19, he stands on the conviction that his preaching the gospel in Damascus and Jerusalem and all Judea was okay. And that these uh, that the Jewish leaders who had a problem with it. Uh, had a problem with it because they did not have a relationship with the Lord. In verse 28, Paul describes uh, his desire for all Christians to know the faith. Paul is a man of convictions, and he he is standing on those convictions. 
like Paul, it's important that we stand on our convictions. But we all know it's, it's, not, it's not easy to because there's something inside of us, our, our, our sin nature. It's our desire to be respected, our desire to be significant, our desire to not be dismissed that, that tempts us to, to give up our convictions, that tempts us to water down the gospel message, that tempts us to, to hide the fact that, that we're devout Christians. And if we're going to stand on our convictions, I, I believe it's important that we first understand that biblical convictions are objective truths. They're objective realities, not merely subjective truths. Josh, Josh McDowell rightly writes, I am not a Christian because God changed my life. I am a Christian because of my convictions about who Jesus Christ is. Our deepest convictions are objective. It's the fact that we serve a historical God-man who really lived, who really ate, who really drank, who bled, who taught, who led, who served, who was bruised, who was stripped naked, who died, and who defeated death. This is our reality. And when Paul stands before Agrippa, he doesn't just share his experience. He shares objective realities. The Christian faith isn't Mormonism. Mormons believe a fantasy, and they live in a, and they make up a whole history in land that cannot be confirmed. The Christian faith in many ways can be confirmed. What we believe is historical things. Hinduism stands on legends about origins. Buddhism stands on philosophies or, or theories and sets of beliefs and, and principles. We do not serve a cheap faith that tells us and that teaches us phrases like just pay it forward or be happy or work hard and have a great, great attitude. No, our convictions are rooted in a person who literally lived and defeated death. And that's why the apostles shouted in Acts chapter 4 and 12, salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. And that's what we stand on. But we also stand on our convictions because we know that God sovereignly weighs our circumstances. And we don't have to buckle at the knees. We don't have to give up our convictions. Because we believe and understand that if God placed us before an authority, if God has brought a circumstance or a person into our life, it is because God has a plan and a will to be carried out. The Apostle Paul believed this, and he had this attitude that said, God is sovereign, and if God has me here in prison unjustly, it is for a divine purpose. And that's what we see in Philippians chapter 1. The Apostle Paul is in prison, and yet he writes about this joy that he has in the Lord. And he goes on to say at the, the end of chapter 1 that what me being in prison has served to further the gospel. He had an eternal perspective. He trusted the Father's hand, and he trusted the Father's will that if God has brought this to me, he's going to bring me through it. It's like a construction company who builds a bridge. They invest this money and this time into this bridge. And in order to sustain this bridge, they, they want to set up measures to, to make sure that it's taken care of. So they, they establish a, a way station where trucks and, and big vehicles have to go through and to, to weigh what is in uh, these trucks so that this, this bridge can be kept. In the same way, everything that comes into your life has been weighed by the sovereign hand of God. 
And if God allows it to come your way, it is because he has a bigger purpose and plan. And it hurts sometimes to have these trucks or these trials pass through us. But we have to trust his sovereign hand like the Apostle Paul. You know, many people believe that God would never lead us to a place uh, where his where things are too heavy for us. Many of us have have heard people uh, say things like God would never put more on you than you can bear. And that's simply not true. Sometimes God does put more on us than we can bear, than we can bear by ourselves. Daily, I feel like the Lord is putting more on me than I can bear by myself. But the thing is, he'll never put more on us than we can bear in Christ Jesus. Can you see Paul here standing before Agrippa with conviction? And the reason he's able to do this is also because he is living for, the, for God's approval and not man's approval. He is not living in a way that suggests that God is small and people are big. Rather, he lives in a way that says God is big and people are small. And when you believe that, you enter into situations, yes, with pain and with confusion, but you also enter into situations with a a certain kind of swag. A, A swag that says, listen, God ultimately, King Agrippa, controls your heart. Proverbs 21 and 1. The heart of a king is in the hands of the Lord and like the streams of water, God can turn it any way he wants to. Nehemiah believed that. Daniel believed that. Moses believed that, and we have to believe that as well. Paul writes in Galatians chapter 110, for I am now, now, for am I now seeking the approval of man or God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of God. There's someone in here who is tempted to give in to your convictions because of peer pressure, because you don't want to be ostracized, you don't want to be thought of as not being cool. You want to be invited to the holiday parties. You, you, you dumb down your faith to the point that this is almost unrecognizable around family because you, you want to fit in. And I just want to encourage you with the writer of Proverbs says, the fear of man will prove to be a, a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is kept safe. And you say, wait a minute, Pastor Jamal, I hear what you're saying, but safe? Are the, the, the Syrian uh, uh, refugees, were they safe? Is being in God's will safe? How, how, how is trusting God's will safe? Safe does not mean that you're not going to go through pain. It does not mean that you're not going to even face death. Safe means that you will not be plucked from God's hand. And when all is said and done, those who trust the Lord, those who trust the Lord will be kept. So as Christians, we want to stand on our convictions just like Paul before Agrippa, but we also must engage people with kindness. And that's what we we, we see throughout the book of Acts, that the apostles have a backbone, not pushovers, but that they engage authority figures with kindness. And do you engage authority figures with kindness? Well, you, you don't understand. My, 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 my boss uh, isn't very respectable, so I don't show him respect in return. But that's not what the scripture says. The scripture says that we, we ought to submit to authority figures and that we ought to be kind in doing so. 
We are called, as Russ Moore says, to have convictional kindness. Paul later writes to church at uh, uh, Colossae. He says, listen, let your speech always be seasoned with salt. Jesus said, let your light so shine that men will see your good works and glorify your God in heaven. Paul tells Timothy when he's right to Timothy, he says, ways the good warfare. Watch your life and your doctrine. Fight the good fight. Be a good soldier in Christ Jesus. What he's saying, Timothy, live your life with conviction. Don't be a pushover. Be strong. But he also gives Timothy some tension. 2 Timothy 2.24 says, the Lord's servant does this while not being quarrelsome, but by being kind to everyone. Everyone? To everyone. Everybody. Right? He says, be kind to everyone. And let's see in this text how Paul is going to be kind. And in Acts 26, 2-3, King Agrippa, I consider myself, this is Paul speaking, fortunate to stand before you today as I make my defense against all the accusations of the Jews, and especially so because you are well acquainted with all the Jewish customs and controversies. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. Now, Paul has been in, in, unjustly in captivity for two years, and he's kind of come in and out of captivity. He's having conversations with Felix. Felix moves on as Festus, and now is King Agrippa. And so for two years, his life has been minimized to prison. And I don't know about you, but if I get an opportunity to make my case after being unjustly in prison for two years, I'm not saying, King Agrippa, I consider myself fortunate to stand before you. I'm coming in that room a little differently. I'm coming in saying, yo, King Agrippa, what's up, man? You know this is bogus. You know I got a bad rap. What are you doing? Right? That's in the flesh. That's how I would come at King Agrippa. But that's not what Paul does. He comes with respect. And he comes with kindness. And history tells us that King Agrippa was a pretty shady cat. And Paul would have known his reputation as well as his lifestyle. But Paul has been communing with Christ, finds his identity within Jesus. He is not there to primarily prove his point and be right. He is there because he sees a man who does not know Jesus. And he says, I would rather be imprisoned and have this opportunity to preach Christ to you so that you would know salvation than to walk in here and act a fool and lose an opportunity for you to know Jesus. And for some of us, we would rather be right. We would rather argue our point to the death on social media, try to convince somebody of our point while a watching world is looking on than to be humble, speak with kindness, so that people could come and see how Christians move and live. And it's hard. It was hard for Paul. Paul's not Jesus. Like, Paul makes mistakes. And some of you are like, oh, don't say that. Like, Paul wasn't perfect. Like, Paul was a man just like you and me. And in Acts chapter 23, the apostle Paul is standing before a high priest. He's making his case. The high priest doesn't want to hear what Paul has to say right away. He tells a soldier to punch Paul. And it's pretty Jamal-like how Paul responds. He responds and he calls him a whitewashed tomb and goes off on him. 
And someone says, Paul, that's a high priest you're talking to. He says, oh, man, I'm sorry. I'm paraphrasing here. My bad. I didn't know he was a high priest. He asked for forgiveness when he recognized that the person that he was talking to was an authority figure that God had placed over his life. And then he points them back to the law. He says, I would never talk to a person whom God has put authority over me that way because the scriptures tell me not to. And as Christians, even if we disagree with a person and see them not acting in respectable ways, we still respect the position while speaking with conviction and kindness. It's tight, but it's right. Verse 24 through 25, it says, at this point, Festus interrupted Paul's defense. You are out of your mind, Paul, he shouted. He's shouting at Paul. Your great learning is driving you insane. Verse 25, and Paul shouted back at him. Forget you, man. I'm a grown man. No, that's not what he does. Y'all like, what? (laughs) No, Paul responds, I'm not insane. Most excellent Festus, what I am saying is true and reasonable. Paul continues to be kind. Why? We see Peter telling the church in 2 Peter 2.17 to do the same thing. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God honor the emperor. He's talking to Christians who are facing persecution by an ungodly emperor, Nero, a man who massacred and killed Christians, who used their skin as as lamps, as torches. And he says, honor them. This is what Jesus tells us. If your enemy slaps you on, on the right cheek, you turn and let him slap you on the other. If he says, go two, one mile, you go two miles. If he asks for your cloak, you give them your tunic also. The way in which we were one to Christ was not because God was unkind to us. No, Romans 2 says we came to know Christ because of God's kindness. And it's God's kindness and his grace that leads people to repentance, not us arguing people into the ground, being aggressive and being turds. I said turds. Mark that down. <laughs> Wasn't written in my notes. But let me tell you about a time I was a turd, all right? In high school, I uh, got a job working at Wendy's. And I had two managers, a, a man and a, a, a woman. And both of them was really harsh. Uh, they weren't Christians. They did not deserve to be in leadership. And they didn't remain in leadership much, much longer after. And it was my first job. I'm excited. I'm working. But I would come home every day and just tell my parents how hard it was to work for uh, these two managers or supervisors. So I kind of concocted a plan because I was supposed to have July 4th off. And they agreed that I had it off. Then like the day before, they said, no, you're going to come to work. Instead of giving you that day off, we gave such and such and such and such the day off. And come to find out, they hadn't originally asked for the day off, but they just gave it to them and they made me work. And I was 16, so I'm upset. So I kind of concocted a plan. I said, if things go rough today, I'm going to, I'm going to show them. Right when it's kind of at the height of uh, our busiest hour, I'm going to quit. And I'm the grill guy. And it, we're running short. And I'm going to quit, and they're going to have to run the grill. And that's what happened. They tapped on my last nerve. I took off my apron. I hung it up. 
I looked at him. I said, I quit. I walked home feeling like a boss. <laughs> I got home. My father was like, what are you doing here early? I said, Dad, you won't believe what I did. I quit my job. He said, you did what? I said, I know. It was rush hour, and I quit. You should have seen it. He said, son, have a seat. He said two things. First, you never quit a job before you have another job lined up. <laughs> I said, okay. He said, second, man, you've been talking about Jesus with them. You've invited them to our church, and you wait until the busiest hour to just walk out on them? What kind of witness do you think this was to and I remember that. And I also remember my father saying, this is, this is how the Lord works, son. He gives us a test, and either we pass or we fail that test. And I believe if we fail that test, that he's going to allow that same test to come back around for us to retake again. And I'm 16 years old. I didn't feel bad about it. I'm like, I don't know what he's talking about. I walked off like a boss. <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and, and he was right. The next job I got was working at a, a ladies and kids foot locker. And it was almost as if God put me right back in the same situation. I had a, a male manager and a female manager. Now, they were way better than the other ones, but they were still difficult to work on. And I was able to build a relationship with the, uh, the, with the male manager. He actually started visiting my dad's church. Later on, he would come to faith and, and become a Christian. But I could have not learned my lesson and walked off to be a boss. But the Lord allowed me to stick in, to have convictional kindness, and to really to build a relationship. And what I'm saying is that God calls us to be people of conviction, but he also to be, to be people of kindness. And you can be a person of conviction and do so in a way that is, is very jerkish, in a way that, is, that, that hinders the witness of Christ. And Paul could have walked into Agrippa's Presence, the, the, the text says that Agrippa had this great pomp and this big scene around him. Paul could have went in there and tried to belittle him and to show him up. He was very learned. He could have spoke to Festus in a very disrespectful way. He could have said, I'm not calling you King Agrippa. You're Agrippa to me. But he doesn't. He calls him King, most excellent. He's respecting the position even if he had, it finds it hard to respect the person in order to be a witness to. Third, and finally, we see that as Christians, we're also kind to called to discern the times. We're called to discern the times. So the Apostle Paul here, we, we see in the chapter before that he appeals to Caesar. He doesn't get, think that he's going to get a fair trial, so he appears to his citizenship rights, his, his, his rights. And we see at the end in verse 32 that Agrippa says to, to Festus, this man could have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. And as Christians, it's important to know that, yes, we have rights. And there's a time for us to declare our rights as citizens. There's a time for us to declare that our rights as, as a spouse, as a, a child with parents. But sometimes God calls us to discern and to give up those rights in order to be a witness. Sometimes God calls us to suffer without making a lot of noise in order to build a relationship. And other times he calls us to, to be the person who, who comes forward and who confronts those who are in authority. But we've got to discern the time, just like the, the Proverbs tell us to, to discern. Proverbs tell us to, 
to ar- don't argue with a fool, lest you be like him. Proverbs 26. In the next verse, it says, argue with a fool, lest he pleads his case and thinks that he's right. Which is it? Well, things aren't always black and white. And that's why we need God's wisdom. That's why we need hokma. That's why we, we need God's presence and community. And we need to understand the mission and where we are to see how God is calling us to respond to people and to situations. For some of us, we hear Jesus say, be wise as a serpent and gentle as a dove. And the part that really resonates with us is being wise as a serpent, is being convictional, is being shrewd, is figuring out how to, how to make it through, how to get over. For others, us, it's the gentle as a dove part. We're good with being gentle, but it's a balance. It's a tension we live in. And we've got to pray to, for God for wisdom, Lord, which is it? Or how do I do both and maintain both? Peter, 1 Peter 2, 21 through 25 shows how Jesus handled unjust rulers. He says, to this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on a tree so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed for you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Praise God the Father for Jesus Christ. Praise him for his submission to unjust authorities. Praise him for his grace towards us rebels. That while we were still in sin, that that he yet loved us. Praise God for drawing us to himself through the Holy Spirit, for giving us forgiveness of sin. And praise God for Jesus' example here. And Jesus did not submit to the rulers and authorities because they had more power over him. He submitted to the rulers and authorities because he was submitting to a greater power. He obeyed the will of God in his submission. But sometimes obeying the will of God does not mean submitting. That's what we see throughout the book of Acts. When governing authorities, when when people are are asking you to submit in a way that would cause you to not be faithful to God, that's where we draw the line. That's where Daniel drew the line. That's where the apostles drew the line. Acts chapter 4, Acts chapter 5, they're arrested. And then they're told by governing authorities, do not speak Jesus' name anymore. And what they say, man, y'all crazy. We can't help but to talk about what we have seen and what we've heard. There comes a time for, for a righteous rebellion. There comes a time where we can have convictional kindness as well as civil disobedience. Every time they preached Christ, it was civil disobedience from that time forward in Jerusalem. Jesus is Lord is an act of civil disobedience because Rome said Caesar was Lord. And likewise, we see that that we have to be wise and discern the time. Lord, are you calling me to protest? Are you calling me to speak out? There's a woman by the name of Sojourner Truth. She was a slave 
And she, she knew that the institution of slavery was a horrible, unjust institution. She was a Christian. She prayed and discerned God's will, got fed up with being a slave. She got her, her child, put her child on her hip and walked to freedom one day. Then she went and got a lawyer and sued her slave master and actually won her case and was able to get her other children out of slavery. She discerned God's will. We have other people who discerned God's will who said, no, this is unjust. Harriet Tubman and many others, this is an unjust system. This does not bring glory to God. It is time for us to stand up. If we want to look at the examples of, of Christians like them or, 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 or Deidre Bonhoeffer or uh, others and see that knowing the will of God before authorities takes discernment. It takes prayer. But ultimately, we want to remind ourselves of the great truth that one day Jesus will return and that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. And that if we suffer under harsh and unjust authorities or leaders in our life now, that one day that will come to an end when he cracks the sky open and comes to make all things right. And may we find the grace to live every day in light of that great day. And may we remember every day that though someone may be over us who is ungodly, that the person who is ultimately our leader is Jesus Christ, and we can stand on our convictions with kindness and wait patiently until he returns. And every Sunday when we gather, we take a meal to remind us of Christ's faithfulness. The night when he was betrayed, Jesus gave thanks. He broke bread and said, this is my body broken for you. In the same way, he lifted a cup and says, this cup is my blood, the new covenant in my blood shed for you. As often as you eat this bread and drink of this cup, you proclaim my death until I return. And here at Sojourn, we take a piece of the bread, we dip it in wine or juice. The wine is marked by twine, whatever your conscience permits. And what this meal does, it reminds us of Christ's faithfulness and how he humbly suffered under unjust leadership so that we could have life. But it also reminds us that one day we are going to come back in his kingdom and we're going to sup together and have a meal with him. And his pomp and his excellence and his beauty outweighs any excellence of any earthly ruler. And I pray that your heart longs to see that. If you're not a Christian, we're going to ask you not to partake of this meal, but rather to partake in Christ. If you haven't submitted your life to his lordship, I want to invite you to do so. But you are not fit to be your own leader and your own king. There's only one person who deserves that title, and his name is Jesus, and he loves you, and he died for you, and he's offering eternal life to you if you return and trust him. If you are a Christian, we're going to ask you to come forth and take communion, remembering that there is a kingdom that is coming. There is a kingdom that we're a part of that's here now, but there is a kingdom that is coming. And in that kingdom, Christ will reign and he will rule. And everything untrue will be undone. And he will wipe away every tear.